When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 602 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming to you on February 29th, 2024. It is Leap Day. Jason, first of all, I'm Donald. He's Jason. Jason, as I bring you in, on February 29th, 2024, this is obviously a Leap Day episode. Yes. We've never had one. I know we've had two opportunities to do it, but we've never recorded on a Leap Day. We didn't do one in 2016. In 2020... We recorded on March 1st, but not February 29th. I think that's probably just how the schedule works. So as I bring you in here, this episode uh, will, will not age you know, very much for us because <laughs> the next time we see this will be four years from now, right? Yeah, not bad. Not, we, we should try and remember in four years from now, in 2028, to make sure we record on Leap Day. I, I don't know why it's important to do so, but you made me interested in it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it probably isn't important, but you know when you have an extra day in the calendar, you take advantage of it, like we're doing it, like we're doing today. Hey, we're here to preview. Wait, actually, wait. I, I want to know if there are people out there listening. That, I mean, we have thousands of listeners. I'm sure there's one of them or multiples who have a birthday today. Yes. I want to know what if you're a leap baby. You know what kind of thing? You know, do you do you tell people I'm I'm 11? <laughs> <laughs> or do you say I'm 44 and, and how do you celebrate? I bet you do an extra, I bet leap babies do a special, special party once every four years. I mean, I would, if I was born on leap day and especially like, you know, some probably celebrate on the 28th, some probably celebrate on March 1st. And then this year they can actually celebrate on their birthday. For those of you who are 16 years old, congratulations. Happy birthday. You're four. No, you can't drive yet. Um, <laughs> legal age is 16 still. You got to wait a little bit before you get your license. Uh, I digress. But Jason, before we get into our preview of the Virginia Cavaliers, who are obviously coming to Cameron on Saturday, I want to make note very quickly that on our last night episode, uh, we asked the question, what does TJ stand for in TJ Power? And we got an answer, an official answer from Joe Jasper. TJ Power is Thomas James Power, which I thought was was pretty cool. However, we did get an email from Michael Slaughter. I think I think his version is a lot better. Uh, his version is three point jumper power uh, is for TJ. So uh, first of all, thank you both for for responding so quickly to that. Uh, I did not think we'd get a full official answer, but it's good to know that Thomas James was in the game last night, Jason. Yes, he was. By the way, Joe Jasper, the guy who told us that it is officially Thomas James Power, Joe is a special dude. He is the official statistician for Duke University home games for the team. He he and several other people 
have a whole process where they mark down all the points, rebounds, steals, all that kind of stuff. In fact, they are the ones who sort of when there's an uh, when you're uncertain, apparently these are the people who decide, you know, oh, was, was that an assist mm -hmm. or not? Really cool and and thrilled that Joe listens to the podcast to be able to give that give us that answer. Um, I, I'd love to see, you know, we'll, we'll see about trying to get him on at some point in the off season to talk to us a little about for more than 20 years. This guy's been sitting on the sidelines at the, probably at the official scores table. I'm sure at the official scores table, coordinating with other folks with, with official spotters. He has spotters about whether different things are happening during the games. That's a, that's a pretty interesting kind of thing. And then, like you said, I, I, I'm going to just give the extra shout out to Michael Slaughter. If people didn't hear that, Michael Slaughter is the man who came up with three-point jumper power. Man, that is, that's some really good stuff there, Michael. Hat tip to you, my friend. I like it. And, and for Joe, uh, you know, if you need someone to be your shadow for one of these games, just, just holler at DBR Podcast. Or to be your spotter. I'd be his spotter. That'd be yeah. incredibly cool. I would spot a lot of stats. That that would that would be my job. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to get into the game that we have coming up on Saturday. Of course, it, it is against the Virginia Cavaliers. It is the first game of another Saturday-Monday double. It's our last Saturday-Monday double of the regular season. And, and Jason, we look at our record, you know, look at their record, 21-8, 12-6 in the ACC. They're 64th in Kempom. 46th in a net so it's a little bit of a disparity you know a lot of these teams when you look at their Kempom and net rankings they're fairly similar this is the team that is like in a little bit off when it comes to the two of those and how they relate to each other there's a lot of reasons for that we're going to get into some of them uh as we move along they have a you know virginia is obviously a really good team they, they have some big wins florida a&m or texas a&m syracuse virginia tech clemson miami fsu wake are some of their big wins their losses not really that bad. You know, they have a couple that are really good teams. Wisconsin, Memphis is Memphis and Notre Dame are probably the two weakest teams on that list. NC State, Wake, Pitt, Virginia Tech, and UNC. They beat BC last night as we record on Thursday. But Jason, that's significant for one valid reason. It's the first time in four games that UVA succeeded in scoring more than 50 points in a basketball game. That's Ooh. right. Yeah. On February 17th, they beat Wake 49 to 47 at home. They didn't follow that up with a loss at Virginia Tech where they got absolutely smoked, 75-41. to 41. Yes, they scored 41 points in a basketball game. They then came home and lost to UNC 54-44 to 44 before winning at BC last night. Jason, as we get into some of the, the, the uh, metrics, let me, let me lead you with a couple of things. We talk about their defense, and, you know, defense has been, you know, what they kind of hang their hat on for the last, you know, what, 10 years or so since Tony Bennett really took over. But UVA this year also has a tendency to not score either. They have scored below 50 points in a game five times this year, below 60 points 12 times, and they've only gotten above 75 points six times. So they have almost as many games under 50 as they do over 75. And in their losses, they average 50.5 points in their losses this year. So converse that with in their wins, they average closer to 69 points. So that's a huge disparity between whether Virginia wins or Virginia loses. So you have to know kind of at a certain point that if you can get up to about 60, 70 points, chances are you're going to win this ball game. But I will turn it to you because you're going to dive deep into the metrics. This is a team that, as we know, really, really good on defense. And they have some great things on offense as well, despite the fact they are one of the slowest, if not the slowest team in the country. Yeah, so let me tell you a couple interesting things. They are just a fascinating statistical team one of the most interesting teams out there in terms of, you know, just sort of 
looking at what they do well, what they don't do well and stuff like that. Before I get to that specifically, you mentioned this, Donald, that they've they've been struggling to score lately. They have not been playing very well lately. They're just two and three in their last five games. Over those last five games, Bart Torvik says they have been 173rd in the country over those five games. And get this, their offensive efficiency over those past five games, 319th in the country. Literally, this Virginia team is playing like one of the 50 worst teams in the land on offense over the past few weeks. That is a real problem for them. Uh, look, uh, continuing on the record, just really quick, Donald, before I get into the all the other stats, at 12, 21 and 8 and 12 and 6 in the ACC, Virginia probably needs one more win at least. If they if they are not on the bubble, they are really, really close to it. They've got only got two games left in the regular season. They've got a game against Duke, and they got a game against Georgia Tech. If they beat Duke, they're in. If they beat Georgia Tech, I think they might need to win one ACC game. It sort of depends on how things shake out with some other teams in the bubble and such. But certainly, Virginia is coming into this game in Durham at Duke and thinking to themselves, if we are able to get this win, we don't need to worry about it anymore. We are in the tournament. All right, enough of that. Let me get to the stats. As you mentioned, number 84 in Ken Palm. They're the number nine defense, the number 181 offense. I mean, it's just incredibly unusual to see a team. Two worlds. Yeah. See a team that is that divergent. Uh, They are dead last, slowest team in the land in tempo. They are the 15th slowest team on offense. They're the slowest team in the land on defense. Combine those two together. You get the team that plays slower than anybody else. That's why, by the way, they can sometimes win games when they only score like 40 to 50 to 60 points. If you can get to 60 against Virginia, you're probably beating them. Let's start with the D, the defense. Second best shot blocking team in all of college basketball. They stuff better than 16% of opposing shots. You will not get anything easy inside on Virginia. Teams hit just 45% of their two-point field goals against UVA. The national average is well over 50%. You only get 45% of them against Virginia. You also get nothing easy from the outside. <laughs> That's just the way it goes against Virginia. Nothing easy on the inside, nothing easy from the outside. Teams only hit about 31% of their three-pointers against UVA. Now, Duke on the season, we're one of the best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. We're hitting close to 39% from three. Top 10 in the country. So you've got one of the top defensive three-point shooting defending teams in Virginia and one of the top three-point shooting teams offensively in Duke. That is going to be a major, major factor in this game. And Jason, the one thing about that, right, it kind of goes back to the tempo. The reason why teams don't shoot well against Virginia is because they have to wait 28, 29 seconds to get a good shot. You'll see yeah. teams passing the ball around, trying to find an angle, and then have to panic when it's under five seconds left in the shot clock because they haven't found an angle to take a shot. They haven't found an open look. And that's when they you know, that's why teams shoot poorly against them is because they have to panic and shoot something that they probably didn't want to take because they spent 25, 30 seconds trying to find an angle to get a good shot where they don't have one. Yeah, and, and getting back to the, the fact that they're so great at defending the three-point line and Duke is so great at shooting threes, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. This cannot be one of those games where Duke misses open shots on the perimeter. When you find mm-hmm. an open look against Virginia, take it, bury it. you got to knock those down to beat the Cavs. Uh, in terms of other defensive stuff that's not preventing you from scoring, 
They're top 30 at getting steals, top 40 at forcing turnovers. They do not foul very much. They're not going to put you on the free throw line. They're somewhere between like really good and elite at literally every aspect of playing defensive basketball. Let's get to the other side of the coin now. <laughs> we'll go over to the offense. So the only good thing I can say about the Virginia offense is they will not help you by turning the ball over. They're very, mm -hmm. very patient. They never force anything. And that kind of works both ways. It works to their advantage in that they are the they have the fourth best turnover percentage on offense in all of college basketball. But it works against them in that they just don't get good shots. They don't, they don't, you know, you gotta take some risks sometimes to get the right angle, to get the right shot. Virginia doesn't take those risks. And as a result, this is a bad shooting team. They barely hit 47% of their two-point field goals. That's like bottom 60 in the country. They hit less than 65% of their free throws. They're bad free throw shooting team. Bottom 15 in all college basketball hitting free throws. And the crazy thing is they're a decent three-point shooting team. Like usually free throws and three-pointers go hand in hand. Not for this UVA team. Terrible at free throws. Actually pretty decent at hitting threes. Hitting better than 65% of their three-pointers. That's really because they don't take a ton of threes. Like they didn't shoot their threes when they are wide open. Jason, you mean they hit they hit sixty five percent of their free throws. They hit thirty six percent of their threes. You had I think you flipped those. Oh, numbers. did I flip that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, they're not hitting sixty percent of their threes. <laughs> no, yes. If I said that backwards, that you understand sixty five percent of their free throws, thirty six percent of their three pointers. But like I said, they they don't take a ton of three pointers. They don't force up any three pointers. They're going to take a three when it's open to them. Um, and it is worth noting this is an excellent excellent team at passing and getting a shot. They they assist on sixty two percent of their field goals and that's like top top 10 top seven in the country at assist percentage which is really really impressive they're not donald a great rebounding team they don't really send guys to the offensive glass at all because they want to make sure that they're going to get back and prevent fast breaks it is super hard to get fast break points against virginia they basically take a shot look if there's a guy inside already he might stay there but no one else is going to the glass it's at most one guy going to the glass and as a result they don't get many offensive rebounds at all um they're okay at defensive rebounding like top 125 in the nation but but that may be a place that Duke can exploit them a little bit you can you know if there's one thing Virginia doesn't do at a really 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 high level on the defensive end of the floor it's defensive rebounding hey should we get to the players a little bit Real, real quick, let me let me touch on a couple of things that you said. Uh, first of all, on defense, you mentioned that they statistically, according to the metrics, are good to elite at just about everything. There's only two places where they may be mediocre to not necessarily bad, but mediocre. One, you mentioned free throw line. Teams hit 74% of their free throws against them, but you mentioned that they don't foul very often to send people to the line to make those free throws. What has been our Achilles heel the last five or six games? Free throws. This will be a good, interesting test. If we can get to the line, make your free throws. Make your free throws. The free opportunities to get points. The other thing, Jason, we mentioned on, and this is kind of goes to them on offense and defense. On offense, you have uh, the, the opportunity for them. They pass the ball around for, again, 20, 25 seconds looking for a good shot. On defense, they make you do that. They make you do that to try and force good shots. So when you said, if you find a good shot, take it. They at you know 52% is the going rate for assists uh per made basket is what they're what they're giving up. And that's because the way to score in Virginia is to pass the ball around until you find an open shot. The question is, do you take the open shot when it's presented to you? Most teams do not. 
Duke has been very good about taking those open shots this year and making them for the most part. That's what needs to happen. And like you and I agree with you when it comes to the three pointers, if we have an open look and we start hitting them, this will make it much harder for Virginia to play at the pace that they do. If we start missing it, it plays right into the fact that we're not going to get that many possessions. We're not going to get many opportunities to score. I mean, most of their games, I think if you got to 65 possessions, you would be, that would be a breakneck pace for Virginia. Meanwhile, we have many games that we're averaging over 70 possessions. So these possessions are going to be very, very, you know, hard to come by. And they're going to be each very important in their own regard. This is really a situation where we we talk about next play. The next play is that play, right? Because you may not get a next play. That's how slow that they like to play basketball. And it's going to be a game where you have to be patient if the take was given to you. But when you have your opportunity, you need to take them. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, you're talking about possessions. You have to value the basketball and value your possessions because you're not going to get as many as you usually do against UVA. All right, let's move on to the players really quick because there are a couple guys I think are really interesting to talk about, especially from sort of a a statistical advanced metrics kind of standpoint. Reese Beekman, who we know very well. Duke is familiar with Reese Beekman. Man man stuck a dagger in our heart a couple years ago uh, and is a hell of a defensive player, although amazingly not the best defensive player on Virginia, which is just Mm -hmm. terrifying to even think of. But Reese Beekman and Isaac McNeely are the two guys who, who do most of the offensive damage for them. And the best thing I can say about those two guys is they are both unafraid to take bad shots. They're unafraid to take shots that they're going to miss. <laughs> These two guys have each taken over 100 mid-range jumpers on the season. Folks, you know how much I hate the mid-range jumper. Isaac McNeely and Reese Beekman have taken over 100 of those. And each of them is hitting less than 40% on mid-range jumpers. There's a reason it's the worst shot in basketball. By comparison... Duke has only one player who has taken more than 80 mid-range jumpers on the season. Again, Beekman and McNeely, well over 100. Duke has one guy, Jeremy Roach, has taken 88. No one else in this Duke team has taken anywhere close to even 80 mid-range jumpers on the year. And Virginia's two primary offensive players, Reese Beekman and Isaac McNeely, just love taking bad mid-range jumpers. Let those guys shoot. Uh, I want to note, by the way, in terms of behind the line, behind the three-point line, Reese Beekman's only hitting 30% of his threes. Now, Isaac McNeely's been really good this year. He's hitting like better than 45%. They got a guy, Jake Groves, mostly comes off the bench. He's a big man, power forward for them. Um, you may remember his brother, Tanner Groves. The two of them were very, mm-hmm. very, you know, they, they made a splash in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago at, was it, God, was it, it was, they went, they, they, they went to Oklahoma. They were at a small school. I forget which one it was now, but, but, um, you know, they had a big NCAA tournament. Everyone knew about them. And and the Groves twins have been moving around. Tanner is no longer around, but Jake is still around. Um, and, and Jake is playing for, for Virginia. And he's been incredible from three-point range this, this season, like hitting close to 49%. Literally, do not let Jake Groves get off any three-pointers against you. The the other guy who shoots a lot Jake, of three. Jake Groves went to Eastern Washington. That's what you're thinking Thank of. you. That, I could not remember. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. The other guy who takes a lot of threes for them is Andrew Rode. He's hitting 27% on his three-pointers. He's taken almost 100 threes in the season. I mean, he's one of the least efficient players in the country, <laughs> Andrew Rode is, and he just keeps on firing away. You know, God bless him. But Virginia has a lot of guys like that who, frankly, probably shouldn't be shooting. But the reality is, I'm not sure there's anyone in Virginia who's better at shooting. 
And then Donald, the last thing I want to say about the players, and then I'll let you get in because I've been talking forever. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) As is my want. I mentioned that Reese Beekman, the great Reese Beekman, the brilliant perimeter defender Reese Beekman is not the best defender on this Virginia team. That honor goes to Ryan Dunn, who might be the best defensive player in all of college basketball. Elite shot blocker, gets a ton of steals, grabs rebounds. Dude does it all except for scoring. He had seven blocks against Wake Forest just a couple games ago. I mean, he's not a big scorer. Only getting about eight points per game. But Ryan Dunn will cause problems. And I'm telling you right now, be ready for this. Ryan Dunn is 6'8". He's not the biggest guy on this Virginia. Virginia's not a very big team. they got one guy who's 6'11". Then they got a lot of guys like between like 6'5 and 6'8 or 6'9". Ryan Dunn's not the biggest guy in the Virginia team. Ryan Dunn will be guarding Kyle Filipowski. I guarantee you that that's what they're going to do. Because Ryan Dunn is such a elite defender. He does such a good job of disrupting what players want to do offensively that Virginia's plan of attack on defense will be to take away the guy that Duke uses more than anybody else. That is Kyle Filipowski. Ryan Dunn, I think, matches up with him really well because when Flip goes outside, Ryan Dunn's like, I am very comfortable out here. And when Flip goes inside, Ryan Dunn's going to be like, go ahead and try and get the ball to him because I'm going to make it really difficult for you to get the ball to this guy because I got long, long, long arms and legs. Ryan Dunn is a problem. Duke may need to come up with a plan other than play the offense through Kyle Filipowski. That's what we've done all year for the most part. I'm not sure that works when Ryan Dunn is guarding Flip. It's interesting because Ryan Dunn is a type of player that keeps you in front of you, but his footwork makes it where he's always in a position to get the rebound. As you mentioned, he's the best rebounder on the team, averages seven rebounds a game, but it's because he's always in these positions to make the play. Like you said, he's going to deny the inbound pass. He's going to at least do, do his do his best to make it where you're catching it in an uncomfortable position where you may not be able to do what you want to do with the ball. And then when you try to take a shot, He's he's easily able to to face up with you, square you up, and then turn around and be in a position to block you out and get the rebound. That's where he's really successful. And as you mentioned, he, he doesn't do much on offense, but when he gets the ball, he, he's averaging 55% from the floor. So when he's getting the ball and he, and he has an opportunity, he's trying to put himself in good positions with his footwork to get the shot off. Jason, the one thing that I'm looking at with Reese Beekman, right? Reese Beekman, there was a point, remember last summer, he entered the last spring. He entered the transfer portal, and there's there was a, a couple people who were like, "Hey, he might yeah. want to consider Duke," and he ended up going back to Virginia. But the thing about Reese Beekman is he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and because of that, he is prone for the turnover. Get this, Jason, against UNC the other night. Again, they lost fifty four to forty four. UVA only had five turnovers. Reese Beekman had all five, and that is an incredible stat when you see that the entire team was clean with the exception of that. So I, I'm really curious to see how they use Reese Beekman if we try to force him into making bad decisions. But also I think for Duke is going to be tough to try and increase the tempo. I think the best way for them to win is to start making shots early because when you get UVA to have to deviate from their game plan early on, it gives you more chance to win. It'll increase the number of possessions by default because they'll have to rush just that little bit, and that takes them out of the flow of the game completely. And that's how we beat them in the past. We've shot them out of the gym, and maybe they keep up with us, but at a certain point, they will they will drop off. And this is a team that's going to throw waves of guys at you to try and tire you out while keeping the tempo slow. If you get them to you know have to abandon that plan, this is where you can take advantage. So it's interesting when you look at the ACC tournament, the probabilities are out right now. We have a 71% chance of being the two seed in the ACC tournament. That increases heavily 
if we win this game. If we win this oh, game, yeah. we win this game, we are guaranteed to be in the top two, and we have a, a legit shot at the number one seed in the ACC tournament. Of course, that extrapolates to getting a high seed in the NCAA tournament. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on here uh, with this game. But making, you know, getting a win in the, the first of this Saturday Monday double would be incredible for Duke to really finalize where they're going to be in the ACC tournament when you guys come here to Washington, D.C. Jason, uh, we want to take a quick break. On the other side, we have more playoff information, not about basketball and football. Wait, what are you talking about, Donald? Stick around, I'll tell you. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. All right, we are back, and we shift gears to the gridiron because if you didn't have enough playoff talk, well, we're about to give you some more playoff talk really quickly. Of course, the college football playoff is, is expanding to 12 teams beginning this coming season. Well, 12 teams is apparently not enough for the college football playoff and the teams that are most likely going to reside in it because now they are talking about expanding already. There was a report that came out just yesterday from Ross Dellinger from Yahoo Sports. And it says that a 14-team playoff model is being considered that would grant three automatic qualifiers each to the Big Ten and the SEC, two automatic qualifiers each to the Big 12 and the ACC, one automatic qualifier to the group of five uh, teams, or, or I'm sorry, conferences that have... Yeah, essentially the, uh, the other teams. <laughs> the other teams. And there will be three at large. This is not the only option that is being considered, but this would begin... They're looking to expand to 14 teams in the 2026 season. So having a 12-team playoff 
is apparently not good enough for the college football playoff. They are talking about only doing this for maybe one or two years and then expanding it even further to 14 teams. Now, I think, Jason, we'll consider this model that's being displayed uh, with the automatic qualifiers being skewed by conference. Of course, the the Big Ten and the SEC, they're going to fight for as many teams as they can get in there, and having three guaranteed teams from both of those conferences is something that I feel like they would want, but also, you know, when, when you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for the house. And at this point, what's to stop the Big Ten and the SEC from asking for just having their own playoff? Because that's it seems like we're headed at this point. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Look, on, on first blush, you kind of look at this and you go, wait a second, do we want to really lock conferences in? I mean, they're going to be there. I can't necessarily envision exactly how it happens, but there's going to be years where the second best team in the ACC or the Big 12 or the third best team in the Big 10 or the SEC may not be worthy of getting a playoff spot. I mean, that mm-hmm. that could happen. It, hap- you're like, it happens are- all the time. Yeah. yeah, and you sort of say, why are we locking this in? On the other hand, I don't know that's going to happen all that often. And I think the reason that the SEC and the Big Ten are agitating toward this is because they want to avoid a situation where it feels like it's disadvantageous for a team to play in the conference championship game. If you were in a situation where there were only two teams going from the from the SEC, only two teams locked in from the SEC, and that SEC championship game potentially knocked one of the, you know, because someone has to lose that game. If that potentially knocked a team out of that spot, out of getting into the college football playoff because they had lost a conference championship game, they feel like, well, wait, that's a little unfair. So that's why they want to lock in that third position. Essentially, that would be, you know, like our top two teams, the two teams that play in our conference championship, and then we pick one other. And I I, I get why they feel that way, because it would it would feel really wrong, really inappropriate if a team, you know, didn't make it because or, or or made it because they didn't have to play in a conference championship. And we've seen that kind of thing happen before, where the team that mm-hmm. was idle sort of was in a better position than the teams that were playing. And you hate that for the sport. You, you could you could say Ohio State. You could you could you could say it. <laughs> uh, in any event, I think all of this is unfortunate, and it's not what I would want. There was something wonderful about the final weeks of the season, where you were like, if you lose one game, it's all over for you. You know, and there was all this tension. Games were super important. I think that, you know, once you get to 12, that goes away a little bit. Once you get to 14, once you get to guaranteed spots for different conferences, that really starts to go away. Like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, those late season games, those are a big deal. Not anymore. Not anymore because no matter what, those teams are probably making the playoff. I I would have preferred seeing the playoff go to six, eight. I can live with 12, I guess. Although even then, I think like six or eight is the real nice sweet spot. Um, But now we're talking 14. I mean, this is going to become like the NCAA basketball tournament. By the way, speaking of that, once you get to a a decent number, once you get to 14, once you get to 16, you're going to start seeing bracket pools. It's going to become, I mean, Vegas and elsewhere are just going to go bonkers on the brackets for, for college football. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think we're waiting long for that. I think that starts this this fall uh, when we when we talk about the 12 team. But Jason, I think my kind of issue with this is one, 
we fought so hard to get to 12 and they've already started abandoning it because of it's clearly because of dollar signs right but also if you look at the big 10 the sec if you looked at this year's final or the 12 that were the 12 when they locked in the college football playoff they had the four teams and we we spent time on this podcast talking about how florida state was scrubbed and, and they were snubbed because their yep. quarterback was hurt what's to stop it, this is going to happen again it's going to be it's not going to be the top 12 teams it's not going to be the top three teams even from the big from big 10 or sec for many of these conferences they're still got to pick them and they're still going to pick teams based on how they feel at that particular time if you look at the top 12 on the day that they selected the final four for the college football playoff this year if that was the next year 11 of the 12 teams would be neither the big 10 or the sec the lone holdout is florida state so at that point three teams ain't going to cut it you could give them three teams each and they still would have teams that they'd be like oh they got they got snubbed they should have been in this thing and at the end of the day like you said we've had teams that have set out idle and they're like this team is the eighth best team in the country and then of course a couple teams lose and then all of a sudden they're like hey this is the best team in the country this year alabama was the what sixth best team in the country they win the sec title and the team who had been undefeated for almost three years does not make the playoff because all of a sudden they're the sixth best team, according yeah. to them, because they lost one game by three points to a team that eventually made the playoff. So at the end of the day, the automatic qualifiers don't mean much because they're still going to fight over who those teams are, and it may not be the teams who are deserving. That's what has been like. It, it's been clear that the establishment of this is to say these are the 12 to 14 or 16 teams that we think we want to see the most. Some get in on their merits. Some get in, they're undefeated, and they're in. They they deserve to be in there. But some of these teams are in there because, hey, this is a good matchup. This would be a good game. This would be a team that people want to see. It's not necessarily about the merits in this case, and that's why I feel like the automatic qualifier portion of that doesn't make a lot of sense because you're saying it every year that, as you mentioned, you're saying every year that the Big Ten, and the SEC are going to have three teams that are that we want to see. And that may not always be the case. That's, there's going to be a year where the Big Ten is going to be in there. Notice that in here, Notre Dame is not mentioned, right? They have to base – there's not going to be a point where they're just going to be like, yeah, we'll settle for being maybe one of the three at-larges. That's not going to happen. They're going to figure out a way to get involved and, and get into this at least automatically should they reach some sort of metric. So well, I think, I think there's. I think the talk on Notre Dame is that if they are one of the top 14 teams, then they're in. So. Right, but if, right, but at the same time, again, if you're 14, if Notre Dame is 14, Notre Dame does not like being 14. They don't talk about yours where they're 14th in the poll. And if they're yeah. 14th in the poll and they get into the college football playoff, people are going to be like, you're just letting them in because they're Notre Dame. When, again, there could be another team that's right in there. And I, I get we're talk, splitting hairs when we talk about 14 versus 15, but that's the point is why, you know, at a certain point we're going to be – splitting hairs and we're just going to add teams just to add teams. So I, I'm interested to see how this plays out, but it's interesting that they're already talking about expanding a tournament before they start the expansion yeah. uh, that they already have. So that's where, that's where I'll leave it. But uh, it's interesting to see that they're already uh, in, in talks to try and, you know, maybe solidify a lot of people's positioning as quote unquote, the best conferences in this country. But Jason, anything else before we wrap up? No, no, no. Look, like I said, I'll just get back to it. I, I, I sort of think six or eight, eight probably is the best sweet spot to me. It would have been great. I yeah. mean, that's, that's just, it, it fits in there so perfectly and it, and it keeps the regular season relevant. And I think that they're, 
I'm not saying they're completely destroying the relevance of the regular season. Obviously, that's not the case. But eh, it's giving people some wiggle devaluing room. it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a wiggle room. So we'll leave it there. Episode 602 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are we are in the books again. Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Duke, UVA, Cameron Indoor Stadium. If you have tickets, be there. If you don't have tickets, watch it on your television screen. It's going to be fun. He's Jason. I'm Donald. We're excited. We're going to go get ready for this game. So until then, here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.